Mormon Discussion Podcast is about helping Latter-day Saints like you lead with faith while tackling deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping the podcast alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber at mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Again, that's mormondiscussionpodcast, all one word, dot org. You can do this for as little as $1.50 a month or $12 a year. And this will also reward you by letting you listen to premium episodes like this one months before the general public has access. Thanks for listening. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion. I am so glad that you're with us today. I'm your host, Bill Real. Uh, a lot has been going on. So just recently, I got back from a trip to the Lafayette, Indianapolis area of Indiana, where I was asked to participate in a, a young single adult conference. And I did a Friday night fireside on grace. I did uh, some Saturday workshops uh, with the young single adults on protecting their testimony in an information age. I, uh, I also did a Saturday night uh, fireside on the same subject. And then Sunday morning, what I found to be really exciting was to go into a student ward there at uh, Purdue University and to put on a presentation essentially helping them to realize how flexible the gospel is, how much they're permitted to be independent thinkers, and and how they can handle when conflicting information comes up, their ability to toss out those things that do not work, that are outside the the essential doctrine of the church. I also had the chance a couple weeks ago to go uh, to our our stake and to visit with uh, my stake presidency and to offer my thoughts on how to help those uh, in a faith struggle or to help those who have not yet encountered it to, to have better tools so that those kinds of, those kinds of issues do not arise for them. And today I wanted to share with you the, the 15 things that I shared as recommendations to my stake. I share these in the sense that I think these are things that every member from just the lay member in award to the leaders in award to the stake leaders and even higher up uh, in the church. The 15 things I would throw out there as suggestions to, to help us better uh, work with those who have doubts, to better enable uh, members of the church to get through these kinds of faith transitions, and to perhaps inoculate members so that some of these issues may not even arise for them because they're better prepared to handle them. And so today I just want to spend time going through those 15 things. And then the follow-up episode to this will be the... Uh, the presentation I put forth for the student ward, and I'll also share that PowerPoint uh, as well so that others can can do the same thing. And then I think after that, we'll follow this up again with an episode on grace. Uh, stay tuned till the end of this episode. At the very end is a special new musical number that has been recorded uh, for this podcast, and uh, we're grateful uh, for two sister missionaries who, who sang this song. One of them wrote the song, and hopefully you'll like it. It's called In the Garden. And so that'll be at the end of the episode. So with that, let's uh, let's move forward. I want to start off maybe sharing that these are things I offered to to my stake presidency as suggestions. I'm not going to share at all what their feedback was or what their thoughts were. I just don't think that would be appropriate. But I think these 15 things are pertinent to to the church and pertinent to every ward that's out there. And so hopefully. Uh, we can have a discussion about these kinds of things and see these as important. Number one, I think every leader should be familiar with the new gospel topics articles in church websites, uh, such as mormonsandgays.org or the gospel topics section on lds.org. 
All should be aware of the dynamic changes that the church has made in its approach to its own history, along with many of its policies. How the church views its past approaches to those who are gay, the Book of Abraham, how it came to be, how the Book of Mormon was translated, past doctrines on why blacks could not have the priesthood, all have been revisited and revised in the past few years. Old viewpoints and stances in many cases are incorrect, outdated, and offensive. The only way to implement new approaches is to be aware of them. So the first challenge is that members be aware of of some of the things that the church has put out there in the last couple of years. Number two, recognize the inherent flexibility that is in the gospel. Many in the church see the gospel in a black and white way. For them, it is easy to define the lines that are set. In reality, many doctrines are more nuanced than that. The 10% of what tithing is paid on is up to the member. Whether one believes in evolution or what age the earth is, is up to the member. How figurative or allegorical one believes many of the Bible stories to be is up to the member. Was the flood local or global or other humans before Adam and Eve are much more complex issues than many at first thought had assumed. Number three, allow faith, hope, and belief to have as much room as knowing. We have culturally created an environment where the only acceptable testimony is to know. We have taught that an appropriate testimony uses the words, I know. But this is incorrect by modern church teachings. Elder Holland stated recently in his talk, Lord, I believe. He said, quote, I hugged that boy until his eyes bulged out. I told him with all the fervor of my soul that belief is a precious word, an even more precious act, and he need never apologize for only believing. While in the church, that's unquote, while in the church we emphasize Moroni 10, 3 through 5, and James 1, 5, which speak of pure knowledge coming from God in an answer to a, to a prayer or to a question. We also must validate Alma 32, which says that for some, their testimonies are based more on the fruits of principles and less on historical facts. We also have DNC 46, 13 through 14, which says that the gift of faith varies from person to person and how one's faith operates varies based on how God distributes his gift. DNC 109.7 and 88.117 also declare that not all have faith, and yet it is talking about those who are worthily part of the fold and participate fully in the gospel. Number four, make an effort to help wards get rid of folk doctrine and speculation. Many members learned a rigid Mormonism that had answers for every question, when in reality, they are incorrect. Many of these folk doctrines are still alive today and unfortunately create barriers to faith when new truth is discovered. Some of these include the doctrine that the earth is 6,000 years old, that evolution must absolutely be false, that Christ was absolutely born on April 6th, that there was absolutely no death before a literal fall in a literal garden upon an entire earth, and others, such as soda pop being against the letter of the law of the word of wisdom, that blacks couldn't have priesthood prior to 78 because they were less valiant in the preexistence or had the mark of Cain, that being gay is a choice, and that interracial marriage is sin. Unfortunately, many of these were even taught by leaders at one time or another, but each is nowhere to be found in official doctrine of the church. And as Elder Uchtdorf said in his talk, come join with us, quote, and to be perfectly frank, there have been times where members or leaders of the church have simply made mistakes. There may have been things said or done that were not in harmony with our values, principles, or doctrine. So we will have to get comfortable with our leaders making mistakes and recognize that we will need to let some of those mistakes go. Number five, put someone out front who doubters can trust and who will openly talk to them. Many of those who lose faith are experiencing an anguish similar to losing a loved one. There is loss, 
anger, sadness, angst, depression, worry about the future, etc. They are afraid to talk to their leaders and their family. This fear is twofold. One, we have culturally placed a negative stigma on doubt. Doubters are seen as less than the other members who know, and that will result in inappropriate judgment and ridicule or diminishing of one's questions and concerns. Two, they worry that if they express their doubts, they may hurt the testimony of those they talk to. For this reason, most remain silent. Studies have been done, and this can be validated. For every person you are aware of, there are at least three or four others struggling, who say nothing. In order to open up, they need someone out front who empathizes, who understands, and who can bear their burden with them, while also offering a path back. This is, in my mind, crucial. Number six, don't teach or encourage blind obedience. We often teach, follow the brethren, even if they are wrong, mentality. And even at it times, you will be blessed for it. While this issue is complex, and there are times when it is best to follow a leader, even when you disagree, I would be very careful of teaching this as an absolute. There are simply too many instances of exceptions to this, that to insist on this being an absolute simply misses the mark. Rather, we should encourage something similar to what Elder Uchtdorf taught in his CES fireside, what is truth. When he said, quote, Latter-day Saints are not asked to blindly accept everything they hear. We are encouraged to think and discover truth for ourselves. We are expected to ponder, to search, to evaluate, and thereby come to a personal knowledge of the truth. He then quoted Brigham Young when he said, Brigham Young said, I am afraid that this people have so much confidence in their leaders that they will not inquire of themselves, of God, whether they are led by him. I am fearful they will settle down in a state of blind security. Let every man and woman know by the whispering of the Spirit of God to themselves whether their leaders are walking in the path the Lord dictates. Unquote. Number seven, distinguish and help members distinguish between culture and doctrine. Again, this is a complex issue. Most members assume all church teachings are true doctrine. This can be historically shown to be a false assumption. In fact, two leaders have addressed this directly. Elder Christofferson stated in his talk, The Doctrine of Christ, that, quote, at the same time it should be remembered that not every statement made by a church leader, past or present, necessarily constitutes doctrine. It is commonly understood in the church that a statement made by one leader on a single occasion often represents a personal, though well-considered opinion, not meant to be official or binding for the whole church. The prophet Joseph Smith taught that a prophet is only a prophet when he is acting as such. Elder Neil A. Anderson then followed this up with, a, with more clarification in the next General Conference with a quote from the talk, Trial of Your Faith, when he said, quote, A few question their faith when they find a statement made by a church leader decades ago that seems incongruent with our doctrine. There is an important principle that governs the doctrine of the church. The doctrine is taught by all 15 members of the First Presidency in the Quorum of the Twelve. It is not hidden in an obscure paragraph of one talk. True principles are taught frequently and by many. Our doctrine is not difficult to find. I would add that when in doubt, we should stick to the basics. Number eight, help members understand that leaders are fallible and will have made mistakes, thereby creating a realistic expectation that won't set them up for a letdown. Taking the quotes above about what is doctrine, in the one earlier where Elder Uchtdorf acknowledges mistakes into consideration, we ought to teach members a realistic expectation of apostles and prophets, that while they have been called to a holy office and calling, they are imperfect mortal men, and that while they are a source for truth, it is God, through the Holy Ghost, who is the ultimate source for truth. 
for by the power of the Holy Ghost you may know the truth of all things. Moroni 10.5 By teaching this, you teach a realistic expectation that can be lived up to. Number 9. Do not assume that the information that the doubter has learned has come from anti-Mormon sources. When one is confronted by a member who has discovered difficulties in church history and theology, the first response is to assume they have read such from anti-Mormon sources. The second assumption is to assume that the information is simply lies. While some material out there is intentionally false and deceptive, most information that causes questions is to some extent true and found directly in LDS sources such as Brigham Young's Journal of Discourses, Elder McConkie's Mormon Doctrine, and in other valid sources. Valid in the sense that they were wrote by church leaders, not necessarily that they were accepted by the church as official. While the, question, while the questions another brings up may be new to you or may seem preposterous based on your current understanding, you should be prepared for new information that is true, that doesn't fit your current understanding. Elder Uchtdorf spoke of this when he said in his talk, What is Truth? A CES fireside. He said, quote, We too often confuse belief with truth, thinking that because something makes sense or it is convenient, it must be true. Conversely, we sometimes don't believe truth or reject it because it would require us to change or admit that we were wrong. Often, truth is rejected because it doesn't appear to be consistent with previous experiences. When the opinions or truths of others contradict our own, instead of considering the possibility that there could be information that might be helpful and augment or complement what we know, we often jump to conclusions or make assumptions that the other person is misinformed, mentally challenged, or even intentionally trying to deceive. Number 10. Do not accuse the doubter of sinning or that his problems would be fixed by praying more or reading more scriptures. Do not accuse those who lose faith and leave or who are thinking of leaving of being tares amongst the wheat or less than in any way. While on some rare occasions some of these assumptions may be true, they are the exception to the rule. Instead, make room for the doubter to belong and feel included. Elder Uchtdorf said it best in his talk, Come Join With Us, when he said, quote, One might ask, if the gospel is so wonderful, why would anyone leave? Sometimes we assume it is because they have been offended, or lazy, or sinful. Actually, it is not that simple. In fact, there is not just one reason that applies to a variety of situations. Some of our dear members struggle for years with the question whether they should separate themselves from the church. In this church that honors personal agency so strongly that was restored by a young man who asked questions and sought answers, we respect those who honestly search for truth. It may break our hearts when their journey takes them away from the church we love and the truth we have found, but we honor their right to worship the Almighty God according to the dictates of their own conscience, just as we claim that privilege for ourselves. He then followed up with a Christ-like invitation when he stated, quote, To those who have separated themselves from the church, I say, my dear friends, there is yet a place for you here. Come and add your talents, your gifts, and energies to ours. We will all become better as a result. Some might ask, but what about my doubts? His answer? It's natural to have questions. The acorn of honest inquiry has often sprouted and matured into a great oak of understanding. There are few members of the church who at one time or another have not wrestled with serious or sensitive questions. One of the purposes of the church is to nurture and cultivate the seed of faith, even in the sometimes sandy soil of doubt and uncertainty. Faith is to hope for things which are not seen but which are true. Regardless of your circumstances, your personal history, or the strength of your testimony, there is room for you in this church. Come, join with us. Lastly, a quote from Joseph F. Smith. 
Quote, members of the Mormon church are not all united on every principle. Every man is entitled to his own opinion and his own views and his own conceptions of right and wrong, so long as they do not come in conflict with the standard principles of the church. If a man assumes to deny God and to become an infidel, we will withdraw fellowship from him. But so long as a man believes in God and has a little faith in the church organization, we nurture and aid that person to continue faithfully as a member of the church, though he may not believe all that is revealed. Number 11. Encourage truth-seeking. Encourage questions, even tough ones. Validate concerns rather than minimize. Again, I will simply share quotes from church leaders. Elder Uchtdorf said, quote, Latter-day Saints are not asked to blindly accept everything they hear. We are encouraged to think and discover truth for ourselves. We are expected to ponder, to search, to evaluate, and thereby to come to a personal knowledge of the truth. Brigham Young, again repeating a quote from earlier, I am more afraid that this people have so much confidence in their leaders that they will not inquire of themselves of God whether they are led by him. I am fearful that they settle down in a state of blind security. Let every man and woman know by the whisperings of the Spirit of God to themselves whether their leaders are walking in the path the Lord dictates or not. And then one from Joseph F. I'm sorry, Joseph Fielding Smith. He says, It makes no difference what is written or what anyone has said. If what has been said is in conflict with what the Lord has revealed, we can set it aside. My words and the teachings of any other member of the church, high or low, if they do not square with the revelations, we need not accept them. Let us have this matter clear. We have accepted the four standard works by the measuring yardsticks or balances by which we measure every man's doctrine. You cannot accept the books written by the authorities of the church as standards in doctrine only insofar as they accord with the revealed word of the standard works. Every man who writes is responsible, not the church, for what he writes. If Joseph Fielding Smith writes something that is out of harmony with the revelations, then every member of the church is duty-bound to reject it. If he writes that which is in perfect harmony with the revealed word of the Lord, then it should be accepted. And I think these quotes are great, and I think they're very helpful. There's just a few more points I want to make. Number 12. Teach members not to expect the church to teach all church history and information. We should each be expected to learn beyond the three-hour block and discover truths outside the church. If members believe that the church will teach them all the available history and theology within the church, they will be set up for a letdown. There is much of our history that is not covered in a church setting. Many members feel deceived when they discover they have gone decades without knowing some of the undiscussed facts of our history. This feeling of deception causes a loss of trust and becomes a quick and slippery slope to a loss of faith. We need to help members see that church is in place to serve a certain purpose and that while all things are not discussed or covered, that each member is welcome and encouraged to learn outside the church's setting and the church's materials. Number 13, help members recognize that those who encounter major doubts can't go back to their old way of putting the pieces together. Rather, they must move forward and rebuild their faith in a different way. Once one has been opened up to the complexity and nuance of our faith's history, theology, doctrine, and culture, one can never go back to the way things were. Rather, they have to be permitted and even encouraged to take their faith apart and put it back together in a way that works. It will look different. It will seem strange and foreign to others, and yet it will be real to them. If others try to force them back to an old paradigm, they will feel as though there is little or no place left for them within our faith, and they will likely leave. It will be uncomfortable for others to accept this person's new faith, but if we want any hope of helping them, then we need to step aside and outside of our own comfort zone. 
Number 14, focus on empathy and not having an answer to every question. We must move beyond thinking Mormonism answers all the questions. Elder Marlon Jensen, former 70 and former church historian, said when speaking about the high number of members losing faith in our day and how we need to interact with him, he said, quote, When someone comes with a bit of a prickly question, he'll be met with a bishop who, number one, doesn't know the answer. Number two, he snaps and says, get in line, don't question the prophet, get back and do your home teaching. And that isn't helpful in most cases. So we need to educate our leaders better, I think, to be sympathetic and empathetic and to draw out those people where they are coming from and what's brought them to the point they are at. What they have read and what they are thinking is and try to understand them. Sometimes that alone is enough to help someone through a hard time. But beyond that, I think we really need to figure out a way to live with people, to live a little bit with people who may never get completely settled. Finally, number 15, family dynamics, friends, and church members. Families should be encouraged to build relationships rather than shun or withdraw. No one should divorce over this issue alone. Encourage members to continue to love and support their spouses and family members who lose faith. I think there are enough couples in every ward and stake going through this that it may merit some attention. Couples should be encouraged to stick together if one spouse goes through a faith transition. Many are made to feel that they must choose between their church and their unbelieving spouse. This should never be the case. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 12 through 15 hits on this issue. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And if the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God hath called us to peace. And I think that's an important point to make, that often women and men in the church, when they find out their spouse no longer holds the same kind of faith or belief they once did and perhaps loses it entirely, one feels that they must defend the church by then shunning, withdrawing, or leaving the spouse altogether. I'd also add to this section that it's important that leaders in the church, bishops and stake presidents and other ward and stake leaders, be be trained in a way to understand that losing faith in and of itself is not a reason for someone not to be able to hold certain callings, that it's not a reason to to not allow someone to give a talk in church or to participate in some way, shape, or form, that to essentially treat them as a, a outsider to me would violate what the Lord has called us to do to help those who, who have questions or whose faith is less than another's or weakened or in a tough time. So those are my 15 thoughts and ideas. I'll include these 15 posted uh, to the episode. Uh, I hope they're of worth to you. Uh, God bless you and may the Lord warm your shoulders. And now on to the song in the garden. In the midst of earth's first morning, as the birds tried out their wings, Somewhere quiet mortal Adam slept until he heard them sing. Breath of dust and he's awaking, gazing up to heaven's home. Now with Eve this garden Eden, 
is the place they call their own. They awoke in the garden, and the leaves were wet with dew. What they knew had changed forever in the garden where they grew. In the prime of Earth's meridian, on a night so clear and deep, bowed our Savior meekly suffering, while disciples lay asleep. Abba, Father, take this cup, please. Still submissive was his plea. Paid our ransom in the garden, garden of Gethsemane. They awoke in the garden, and the leaves were wet with blood. What they knew had changed forever, Lamb of God now understood. In the tide of earthly morning, as the earthquakes rent the ground, Mary knelt in solemn sorrow, for her Lord nowhere was found. Oh, familiar was the voice then, breaking through death's awful gloom. And he stood there resurrected, Easter morning garden tomb. He awoke in the garden, and the leaves were wet with tears. What we know has changed forever, for with him we will be heirs. But a darkness closed the light's fall, and a famine swept the land. Who is right, how shall we know it? Great excitement and demand. And the time was 1820, morning breaks in light above. Joseph's humble prayer was answered in Palmyra's sacred grove. The world awoke in the garden, and the leaves were turning green. What we know has changed forever, and the powers of heaven seen. In the twilight of earth's history, at the dawning of the day, we are called to gather Israel, till the line with lamb shall lay. Hush the world and still the sobbings, let the earth receive her king. For that day we have been promised, with the angels we will sing. We'll awake in the garden, when the leaves are wet with rain. There on Adam, on Diamond, when the Savior comes again.